0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my name. Dilly din, dilly dong. Come on! And to Sheringham, <laughs> and to Sheringham! I will love it if we beat them. Love it.
1: This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney.
0: Hi, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is David Robertson. David is the Cup Girls Assistant Director of Coaching in Cincinnati. He's the U17 and U19 DA head coach. He's also just started his USSFA license. And he's one of our Modern Soccer Coach Worldwide Mentorship Program mentees. So. David is teaming up with Carmelina Moscato uh, as his mentor. So I wanted to, to talk to David for two reasons. First of all, to get his perspective on the program, the mentorship program, because I didn't want the program just to be about, hey, they're doing this, they're doing that, uh, and putting everything out there without actually hearing from them and getting their perspective. If we're going to talk about people being in, in different paths and different stages of of the the process then why not here for those people themselves and the second reason why i wanted to talk to david was to go over his philosophy so uh, all the mentee coaches have all been we've been working on creating your own philosophy and not just taking a, a barcelona book or a pep guardiola man city training program but what drives your philosophy uh, why is that philosophy the way it is and what makes it different from other people and then how are you going to structure that on the field, off the field, etc. So David has sent me his philosophy and he approached it in a slightly different way so I wanted to ask him a few questions as to why he did that uh, and go from there. So a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of recruitment as well on the on the college side. I f- I'm talking to David. This was last Tuesday, which was signing day for the college uh, young players who committed to their colleges so it's uh his phone's going off all the time and he he managed to to uh, free up an hour before he got bombarded from twitter from all the club players um announcing all their their uh, their posts so i hope you enjoy it thanks to david and here we go morning david how are you gary not too bad not too bad it's a big morning for you so it's signing day it is it is so uh... your phone's all these uh vibrating sound is your phone it's not mine (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, big moment, big moment for all these
1: kids getting to, you know, kind of realize that dream that they've had. And, you know, we've been lucky enough to work with a lot of these kids since they were, you know, 12, 13. And some of them have actually come all the way through our Juniors Academy. So they started with us when they were four or five years old. So, you know, we've been able to see them grow from, you know, unable to put two feet in front of the other one mm. to now obviously signing for... For a college, and then you know we'll see from there. But it's it's been exciting to see that process, and obviously today lots of lots of pictures of smiling faces. So. Yeah. What's um so fifty two kids you just told me are going from cup to college? Yeah, fifty two kids from cup on the boys and girls side are going off to play in college next year, and we've got a couple of kids, uh, primarily on the boys' side, that are still looking at options. So that number should grow. And then in the uh, in the Cincinnati Development Academy, we've got thirty five girls going on to play next year. So massive representation of just the talent that cincinnati has so
0: yeah that's brilliant that's brilliant so what do you do a a ceremony with them or do you do something as a club
1: yeah so they've got their signing days it's actually sort of a weird winter storm in cincinnati today so a lot of their school signings have been postponed till tomorrow so they've got the obvious the school signing and then on sunday we're actually bringing them in for like a, a fun event where they'll wear you know their college attire and you know, um, we've got a photographer coming in. We've got a DJ. We've got Montgomery and Ribs, which you may remember. From yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So we're we're having it at Montgomery Inn. So really looking forward to that. Get um get a taste of that again. So it'll be a Brilliant. good little event where they'll you know they'll do a little mock signing there and just you know sort of celebrate celebrate their careers a little bit.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, there's not enough of that, isn't it, at the youth level? That's what I like about signing day is that at least it gives you just the, and it gives the coach, or the coaches and the club a little bit of recognition as well because you guys have done a lot of work, not only from the development side, which people don't understand at the at the club level, the amount of, I mean, how often do you spend on the phone to college coaches talking about these players? Oh, I mean, it's when it's in the thick of it. So when they're freshman,
1: sophomore, early junior year, I would say it's probably 10, 15 hours a week. Um, you know, just between email and follow-ups with phone calls, and then sitting down with the families, making sure. And you know, I've got a very hands-on approach. So for me, it's because I think it's it's a very confusing process, especially with girls, because it starts so early. Um, and so you know, we've got to kind of educate them on the process. And you know, obviously, we we try to inspire the family and the kid to drive the boat. Because ultimately, our job isn't to write the emails for them. Our job is to provide them the platform to perform. So you know, obviously, with getting to play in the development academy getting to play in national league you know with with the badges from cup and and cda you know they're obviously going to be on that platform so it's now about how do you create that connection between the college coach
0: and then obviously you know you feel like Ari gold a little bit you know (laughs) all right people think this is a recruiting conversation it's not it's not it's about the (laughs) msc mentorship program so uh right so we'll just talk about the the philosophy piece um, I've you've you sent me your your stuff, and I was um I was intrigued by it because you've gone at it a little bit differently with your philosophy. You've you've started with identifying, building it around specific type of players that you were <laughs> um you've you've be, you've gauged it around the pro players that you were um kind of drawn towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that because you're more drawn? Is that a personal thing that you're more drawn to player develop individual player development, the team development, or Or what was behind that?
1: I think so. I think when you originally start out, you have a very team-focused identity, right? My team wants to do this. My team wants to do that. And you realize that your team, we say mine all the time. At the end of the day, these players represent the club that I happen to work for. And so it's like, okay, so the kid is going to go play in the national team. The kid is going to go play in the pro environment. So how do I develop that kid? to their maximum potential and it's one of those i think that if we do the job correctly the team will be successful because the pieces are successful right so it's you know and a lot of it ties into you know like the stuff that that donna fisher has about even just the personality stuff of the spoke and everything that comes off of the wheel and it's you know if we can get this individual player development down now it's easy to teach the different components of the game so for me this really challenged me as well because you you think about the game one way and then you go okay well at the end of the day, what type of player do I want to produce? What do I want them to look like? You know, And so now it's, well, if I value these types of players, then my philosophy has to match that, right? In terms of, you can't just say, I want X, Y, and Z out of a player. It's like, all right, so the players that I consider to be the most successful at the position, they represent these attributes that allowed them to get to the professional level. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're we're trying to do is, yes, find every kid their best fit. But can we help the US move forward? By producing more elite level female pro players and national team players. So now it's, now it's a case of evolving the level of the player as well as the level of the style, um, which I think, so that's been, that's been an, an interesting look for me is, right, what do I really value based on the players that I think are exceptional at that
0: position? You mentioned when you were going through your, your almost your positional development plan of leadership in the centre back was a big priority for you absolutely but that was the only that was the only position that you named a personality trait alongside a technical trait so Mm -hmm. is that because you find it in such short supply i think so yeah because i think that there's so many
1: players that are afraid to impose themselves i think in this in this generation where everyone's so worried about hurting each other's feelings of people you know you think of you know maldini you think of Martin Keogh and you think of, you know, all these people. I mean, Carlos Puyol is the, the quintessential example, isn't he? Mm. Of somebody that is going to be a player that if he sees his teammates getting a fight, he's going to have his back, but he's going to pull him away. He's going to have a word and everyone responds to that player in a different manner. You know, so if the captain's up for it, if the center back's up for it, because you can see the whole field, right? So you can organize it, you can be disciplined, you can provide coaching instruction, but you can also keep somebody accountable, you know, because if the ball's on the left and you see that your, your seven is being lazy, right, you can get on him. Whereas players that are directly involved in the play might not be able to organize that as well. So I think for me, it was a natural position for it. And you've obviously seen, you know, you've got your Roy Keens and people like that who do it in the midfield. But once again, those tend to be your defensive oriented players so when i looked at it from a standpoint of where does that tend to come from it tends to be those hard gritty defensive oriented players no matter where they are in the field but they tend to fall you know as a four or five or a six so i thought that was that was definitely an area to identify of can you have somebody even somebody like rio you know that organizes that is disciplined that has everyone's respect and it changes the game completely i think we've all had teams where we've had leadership at center back and it changes everything tremendously, um, you know, just in terms of they organize in front and now the team clicks so much better. You keep the ball better. There's not really space behind because they're able to manage it as opposed to the, the kind of silent type who lead by example. Yeah, they do. A, they do a good job, but
0: you still give things up and there's still that nervousness with the teammates in front of them. Yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on. I think today leadership, by example, isn't good enough. Um, it 's not doing and like we 've we 've reached a stage where the game has developed and progressed physically uh, it 's developed and progressed tactically, I think from a leadership point of view it 's developed and progressed whereas I stand back, everyone will follow me well they 're not because your voice isn 't big enough exactly so, and I think most talking to coaches like if you 've just come from the convention or if you 're having a conversation like this you 're talking with college and and club coaches they 're talking about the leadership being. Being so such an important factor, what are you doing at the club level then to build that and to try and you know to try and get it because it's all communication, right? Most of it. Absolutely. Um. How, how? What? What things are you doing with your teams?
1: Yeah. So that's been a big emphasis for Tiffany and I. So Tiffany Roberts and I have coached the the four DA teams together. Um, and one of the big things that we emphasize is: look, I don't care what you say, right? As long as you're talking. Because at the end of the day, if how many times do you go to a play and you go, "Why'd you do that?" And their first answer is, "Well, I don't know, you know and it's one of those okay, so now is it is it that you really don't know or are you embarrassed by your answer so for us, then it goes back to they don't have a true fundamental understanding, especially with our goalkeepers, our center backs, you know this the kind of core players is can we coach them?" to watch the run on their right shoulder. Yeah. And them, you know, About where their touch needs to go, about putting a name on a pass, all that sort of stuff. And then being able to read the triggers. Because you look at, even amongst younger players, there's always confusion as to, do I step, do I drop? You know, Am I caught in this no-man's land? And that's where you get in trouble. So if you've got those deeper players who can read that situation, now it's, right, there's no pressure on the ball, let's drop and squeeze, keep it in front. So... I think simple, simple things like that, and then we get it more complicated as we evolve and as they get older and as they can compute it and process it, because obviously what they can understand truly at 13 is completely different than what they can at 18. So for us, it's, it's a process of not trying to give them too much information, but trying to get the basics down, and then we add another layer You know, every every three to six to nine months, depending on obviously how they can grasp it as well as how they're
0: doing developmentally. So. Mm-hmm. Not only did you do a positional philosophy of what players you're drawn to, you also did what coaches you're drawn to. Absolutely. One of, one of those coaches that stood out for me. So it's, I mean, obviously they had the Mourinho and the Pep, and you also had Bobby Robson. Yeah. Um. And you mentioned the humility. Is that Absolutely. something that that you're drawn to? Is that something that it's just a natural thing for you, or is it something that you look at other people and you think, wow, that's that's special? I
1: think it's a little combination of both. And I think that it's something that is less and less prevalent these days. And it's... So, obviously, I'm a Newcastle fan, as as painful as that is. That no, um, is painful. You know, oh, it really is. But, you know, you remember what Bobby Robson did and how he talked. And it was... When we first moved to America, My we went up to Columbus because Newcastle came over to play Columbus Crew in a preseason friendly. And it was... So exciting for me as a young kid, obviously, you know, you've moved from Europe. So now you're kind of displaced a little bit from the culture um, that exists there with football. And they come over and they play the Columbus Crew and it was a 2-2 tie. And, you know, after the game, they came down for autographs. And a lot of the big players just walked past, you know, Alan Shearer, who was my hero when I was a kid. I mean, to the point where I did the playground celebration of the arm up running off as as he scored a goal. So, you know, he walked past and that was devastating to me. And that was Bobby Robson came and talked to every single fan that was stood up there. And even me at a really young age and said, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, you know, "Oh, I want to play for Newcastle United. And didn't go, oh, well, that's, that's a stretch." No, it's brilliant. You know, I can't wait to work with you. I can't wait to manage you and this and that. And, you know, he goes, who's your favourite player? And I said, Alan Shearer. And he goes, right, I'm going to get him. And he went and he took Alan Shearer from having his lunch and brought him out. And Alan Shearer signed, you know, a cup for me, signed my jersey, all this and that had no like ego about him or anything like that in that moment. So you know it was obviously something he didn't want to do because he was in the middle of having his lunch. Yeah. But he came out just because Bobby Robson said, hey you've got to do this. Wow. You know, so it's one of those things that that always, always, always has stuck with me. And I think just you know the the Geordie fans are if you do write by them, they love you. If you don't, well, you don't want them anywhere near you. Absolutely. You know, I think that's always you look at the reaction of the fans, whenever he came out after he retired and, you know, obviously had cancer and, you know, he would come to the games and just they would sing from the terraces and it would give you goosebumps. And I think that impacts be able to have that. And you're never going to get there. If you make it about you, it's got to be about not just the players that you coach, but the people that you coach. So it's, they're all individual and they're all different and they all have, you know, different personalities and you have to find a way to relate to them. And I think that's what separates so many good coaches from great coaches is their ability to relate to the kids on a, on a personal level and care about them you know to be able to ask how's your how's your brother doing how's school you know and have them not just go yeah it's great but can you have a conversation about it you know does it mean enough to you as a coach to remember this girl's brother's name and you saw something on facebook that he wasn't doing well that he was sick so ask about it you know, because that's those those kids remember those interactions. They remember when you put an arm around them and stuff like that. And that's always stood out to me. And that's always something that I've tried to bring into my
0: coaching. Um, you know, and that's that's been a big staple for me personally. Yeah, and that Gary, my old boss at Wingate, Gary Hamill, went to Newcastle. that's about ran into him on a tour, and he basically followed them around for the next half hour. You know, they were all American, and he he basically took over the tour. <laughs> so that's. that's isn't it brilliant those kind of stories that how many, how many people right now I met at the convention, saw a couple of high-profile people um, that would walk the other way past, and I thought, wow, what a shame, what a platform you yeah. have here. Um, and you're just choosing to bury your head and, and think you're ab- above people.
1: So well, it goes back to that, that notion as well of, you know, what are we in this for? Is it for me to get a mention on social media, or is it about, you know what, if we can all work together at the end of the day our goal is about how do we help this country move forward how do we develop players that are going to move the country forward and at the very least kids that are going to go play in high school kids that are going to go and play in college and you know what they're going to love this game and they're going to come back and coach you know even if it's just helping out once a week with a team you know their kids team now you've got a generation of educated players whose kids are now playing 20 years from now so it's a it's a thing of that's how we move the game forward. It's not always about the individual who goes on to play professionally. It's about, right, it might not be the kid that you're coaching right now. It might be a teammate of that kid's future kid. you know. And if you are in a position where you can go out and you can help influence them to be a coach and stay involved in the game, how brilliant is that? And how much better are we going to move forward?
0: Just going back to your philosophy then, you, you mentioned you had a... with, with your. What does each player bring that's unique? Mm-hmm. Do you find players who aren't the star players or who don't get maybe the playing time in college or the you know this U sixteen U eighteen level are starting to become lost? Yeah, we see we see a combination of it, and I think that one
1: of the big things is what is their intrinsic motivation about. And I think that it was the what drives winning intrinsic motivation that just came out the other day was actually spot on with this is what is this kid really here for you know is it about just i'm only really here if i'm playing and i'm the star in which case the elite level isn't the right one and that's been so beautifully illustrated by alabama football and obviously the philadelphia eagles where it was a backup quarterback who won and the happiest person on the field was who was supposed to be the starter so it's what is the true motivation of these kids because i think that people have grown up in this it's all about me everybody loves me it's okay Um, world. So it's the kids at the top end who can buy in and go, you know what? This culture is why I'm here. And so it's how good a job do we do as coaches of setting that culture? You know, if if I've just gone and imposed my will and said, this is what we believe in. This is what we are going to do. But none of the kids have owned it. None of the kids have contributed to it. How do we ever expect them to buy into it? So now when they're not playing, oh yeah, they're going to be upset. Right? Because this isn't really their team. They're a piece of the team. Right? But if you can sit down and you can go, right, yeah, the, the generic stuff of what do we want to accomplish this year? Why is it important? What, do you, what are you going to build out of it? That's, now they start to have ownership. And now they start to keep themselves accountable to the goals that they've set. Because at the end of the day, you can look back at them and go, this is what you wanted. right? And if you're not at the ability where you can participate right now, how can you be a better teammate to drive those players forward? And now, at the end of the day, you'll show how am I moving forward. And I think that a really cool thing, it was, once again, the What Drives Winning, I think it was the University of Florida softball coach did it, where he had all his girls write on a brick. Their name on one side, and on the other side, it was what they bring that's special about them to the team. And they line—they had, they had to line them all up, and they had to make it into a wall, and this and that. And then the coach walked up, and he just pushed it over. And he goes, <laughs> You know, individually, yeah, you have all these strengths, but what do they do for us? And then it was about, okay, you went and got the concrete and they built it all together. And now you push it and the whole wall falls over together. And it's a a cool little representation of, hey, individually, yeah, we're all special. But if it's never brought into the collective, if we never buy into what we all want to do, how are we ever going to move forward as a team? So I think it's when I say we get a mix of it, I think there's kids that just don't buy into stuff. You know, and part of that is on us as coaches that we haven't done a good enough job, but there's a lot of examples that we have right now of kids that you know, maybe aren't playing what they're used to, um, and, and that's tough to handle, but they've chosen to go about it in a manner of, yeah, I'm upset by this, and yes, I want to do better. So they'll come and have those conversations with us individually as coaches, but you would never know it because they want to be a part of this team, they want to be a part of the culture.
0: Your mentality, you even said it in your philosophy, it's so easy to blame players, but we have to look inwards. And part of having a strong philosophy, I feel, is that, or or even, you know, we talk about creating your own or else you're borrowing or stealing from other people. If you're taking Pep Guardiola's philosophy and you're applying it, it's the same thing as you're saying to your players. If they haven't created it, they don't believe in it or they don't own it. Mm -hmm. If we don't own it, then, and it doesn't work then we look and blame our players and say, well, they, they weren't good enough or the ref let us down, or parents are a nightmare. So it's that thing that works both ways, doesn't it? If the, We have to create what we're going to be about as well. Otherwise, w- when it doesn't go... And, it, and soccer is full of setbacks, so when it doesn't go right, it's all about finding ways that the kid or the players or the parents or the coach looks at themselves rather than looks at the mirror or looks out yeah and that 's been it 's been interesting because it 's one
1: of the big things that they brought out because i 'm doing my a youth license at a minute and one of the big things that they 've emphasized all the time is it 's so easy to blame players all the time but you have to look at as a coach have I really prepared them for what i 'm asking them to do you know because we all do training sessions and we all do activities and see thousands of them on Twitter and I was one of the guiltiest people about just posting sessions and posting activities and you know, oh yeah, they look brilliant, you've got all your cones out, it looks looks great. But, then you think about, okay, so if we've got an activity, you know, in training and we do a 4v4 plus 2, right, sounds like a logical activity and we just put it out on the field and, you know, our, our kids are pinging it about and you go, right, we're, we're going to be a really good possession team. And then you go and play on Saturday and it completely falls apart and the kids can't keep the ball and you get really upset and you go, it must be my players. Because in training, well, we were on it, right? But then you look at Okay, so how did that really relate to the game? You know, what area of the field did we train in? Did we use the right players or was it just four players thrown on a team together? You know, have you ever built the relationships between your centre bags, between your four, five and your six, between your eight and your ten and your nine, between your seven and nine? You know, have you built those relationships so those kids can really, in training, go, this is what we worked on? Because if you, you know, those kids, when their mum and dad pick them up, and we all know there's a disconnect from the minute they walk, towards the car but at the end of the day they should be able to say we worked instead of oh, i don't know or it was fun or we did some shooting yeah but what element did we do you know how does it really relate to the game so i think that was one that really really struck with me was have we really prepared them no. has our trainings really been as realistic as we think they are so you know and one of the one of the things that they're huge on is this book of experience which is basically just journaling or mm. you know reflecting on stuff and i've I've always said, yeah, I need to do it and just never bothered, which is on me. But I've really been doing that the last oh, two months now and it has made such a difference, just everything. You know, because you can relate how a training session went and how you made it, how you felt about it. And then you can translate that to, to lessons for the future, you know, and in games as well. So you watch, you watch a game and you go, yeah, that felt brilliant. And then you watch it and you go, oh, that was not brilliant. Right? But your emotions allowed you to think that.
0: Well, it drives that awareness piece, doesn't it? If you're writing stuff yeah. down, you're thinking. Talk about those sessions. Like I, I put, I've started putting videos up on my Facebook page of little like. It's not the session; it's the way it's being coached, you know. And, and yes, I put put up one on on Simeone. It's just a four four plus two four v four plus two. Um, yeah. And it was just the intensity of it and the responses. Like, I appreciate people putting their thoughts out, but the amount of people that come out and, and write stuff like, Yeah, we do this, we do this exercise. Yeah, I've done this before. Like, so so you should be just as, as successful as Atletico Madrid. Well, what makes this exactly. different? You know, and, and he's on the sideline, his energy, he's covering more ground than than some of the, the defenders in that exercise. So it's just that what what kind of annoys me is our lack of our lack of awareness as a coaching community of two people can be doing two separate things, but you can be doing it better than them and you can learn something from them or they can remind you of things. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's, we've all got to get in the habit
1: of understanding that feedback is not personal. You know, if it's by people that you respect and you trust, you know, because that's the, if, if you respect the person and they come up to you and go, have you thought about this? What about this? Is that really realistic? You're go- you should have the reaction of, yeah, actually no. Or if you believe in what you did, here's why I did it. Not right, I was tired and it was an activity that I threw together in the car and I thought it would work. You know, because that's just lazy. And that's <laughs> when we're doing our players a disservice. So I think the big thing is getting over this mentality of just because somebody asks a question. And it, like a really cool example, it was I think like three weeks ago, you know, Ellis on Twitter and we were we were just going back and forth about an activity, and one of the things I just asked him was. Is that really realistic? Because your sixth is unopposed and he goes, Well, here's how I progress it. I see your point that you know we can definitely tweak this. So it was it was a cool kind of interaction because we were able to just chat about different scenarios. You know, he believed in what he did and he was able to explain it why, which also made me think. You know, so it's it's one of those, I think we should be more in the habit of constantly challenging each other, not to butt egos, mm-hmm. but to help each other get better. Cause then at the end of the day, what's it come back to? Our goal of trying to make better players. Because now, if you and I are coaching against each other, and we've helped each other become better coaches, our kids are going to be better by default, which means that game is going to be better by default, which means the product becomes better by default. So you know, I think it's, it's such a minor thing, but you bring up such a good point about we have to be prepared to answer why and also know that there's differences. You and I coach very differently. You and somebody else coach very differently, but we can all learn from each other. And like uh-huh. you said, it's about becoming the best version of you because the kids read through us. You know, we've all been in a stage where we've tried to be like another coach and they see right through it and they see you as not genuine and now you've lost that trust, which is the most important thing, especially with girls, is you've lost their trust and now how do you respond to that? So whereas if you're, if you're you, they can feel the energy and that's where you get exactly what Simeone is because he coaches like he played. So it's about finding that identity of you, but also being okay about being challenged and also being okay by going, you know what? I think I think Gary's better than me at this. I'm gonna go watch him. I'm gonna go get better, you
0: know. And that's what they always say: the best, the best coaches are the best thieves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I, I actually, I'd go one step further than you and say that if it helps create, yeah, it creates better players. But if you're, it creates better coaches. When I went, when I went to Cincinnati, um, I I went up to work with with Neil Stafford and. I you know, I was in the in the conversations before going up there, and you know, I was like, Well, what's my role? And Neil was saying, you know, to to help with training and to put some ideas in. So I actually thought I was going up with a clean plate to put the training together. And then my first day it was kind of a sit down in the office Nate and Neil was like, Well, well what's what are you doing this for? And I was thought, Well, I thought you were just gonna let me do it. Um and I was, you know, I was kinda of taken aback. But what that did, every day we would have a 15, 20, 25, 30 minute conversation of every exercise. And what that at the start I was, you know, I was like, oh, this is this is exhausting. But what it did was it made me modify, it made me defend my work, it made me explain my work, and it made my work better over the course Absolutely. of six months. And they you need like, we're not we're not willing to have people pick holes in our work, are we?
1: No and that's the at the end of the day it's it goes back to having a philosophy because how do you know what you're doing is right how do you know what you're doing is good you know what can you measure it against and like you said those conversations challenged you to go is this really what i believe what's non negotiable for me what can i change what can i tweak how can i get better off this and that obviously allows you to grow and get better like you said so it's at the end of the day and i, I think that's it's the same thing we ask of our players right they have they have beliefs whether we like to believe it or not They have a belief about how something should be done. They might not be confident in it, but it's why they perform that action. So who are we to tell our players, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I want to help you get better. But you have to be critical when you do that, right? So you have to give critical feedback. Otherwise, no one improves. But yet we, as the people who are doing that, aren't modeling it
0: ourselves. Does that really make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Which I I actually, one of my best learning moments came. We had a guy that was coming in from, uh, pulse no what was those heart rate monitor companies oh yeah I, I really wanted them so he, he came in and and he was and i put on he said he would do a three hour session he would, he would gps everything up and with the heart rates and it was going to be brilliant so i'd done three exercises and then we sat in the office later and, and he put it up on the tv and it was showing me all the, the numbers and he said can I give you some feedback? And I thought, oh, he's going to tell me how great my session. was. <laughs> he was like, your, your session was all over the place in terms of like, why would you do this and why would you do that? And um, it actually put me off, it put me off buying his product. It cost him about seven grand in sales, not because yeah. I've but because I said, well, hold on a minute. That, he's actually right. It doesn't relate to my model of play. I should be looking at, and I went to, like, for two to three weeks, I went away and looked at everything I did, and came back and was like, "I need to I need to call that guy and not give him in business, but tell him thanks for putting me on a on a better path than where I was going before." Um, how how do we get that through to a community that's almost conditioned to be defensive with their work? Absolutely. I'm asking you how to do it. Oh, sorry, sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and I think that's I think it's, it's once again it's leading by example, right? So that's the you know we talked about one yeah we talk we ask our players to do that but then we ask our players what do we talk about we ask our players to have voices right so now we're we're so lucky because twitter especially for coaches provides such a medium and now it's about okay can we 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 look at these simeone videos and we look at these pep guardiola videos of interaction stuff like that and we go yeah that's brilliant right i'm going to do that but how many of us actually post what we do you know so it's can we now take what we're talking about and can we evolve it and then if If a young coach is able to watch that and get a bit better and now they gain some confidence and now they grow in stature and now that's become the norm for them, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to put this out there while understanding that I'm vulnerable and I'm going to get some feedback that I can dismiss, but there's going to be some that's going to be really good. So can I filter through what is what and can I embrace it and can I get better? So I think that's one of those where at this sort of precipice of change in terms of coaching. And I think. Like U.S. soccer has changed how they do their coaching education. I think it's brilliant now. And it's kind of fostering that exact environment of be vulnerable and understand that it's just feedback. It's not someone indicting you. Mm. It's people wanting to make you better. So I think that's going to take more of us being willing to go, yeah, come to my session. And then afterwards, don't just come to my session, but give me some feedback. You know, Were you able to tell what my topic was? Would you do anything differently? Because we all know how it is. You have a younger coach come out and watch your session and you ask how it went and they go, oh, it was brilliant. And you, in your head, you're going, I don't know about that, actually. You know. So I think it's creating that culture. Like you said, I mean, you were at the convention and some of these big wigs just put their heads down and walk past you. Is that the culture? You know. Whereas can we be the people that go out and can we be the people that talk? to these coaches that want to get better and want to evolve and want to be in the arena where you can make players better mm. and if we if we lead that way now does that become the new norm and that's the question of we don't know because that's uh, we'll see You will know, we'll see we'll see what it looks like 5-10 years down the road but at the end of the day if all of us together can create 200 better coaches and they're touching 40 players a year look at that difference you know so I think that's the big thing is we have to create a new norm because obviously we've had social media come in because before that it was very much me and this book that I've bought are going to teach these kids, you know, or maybe you would go and you'd you'd watch some, some coaches in person, but now we've got so much interaction and so much media out there that it's easy for these coaches to get lost as well. Cause at the end of the day, like you said, it's how does this look like the game? You know, there's, you could find 10,000 activities for everything that you want to do between YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. And some of them some of them get you get drawn in because there's three thousand, you know, multicolored cones and kids buzzing about and, and good music and you know you get you get kind of caught in that trap. And then at the end of the day is how does it look like the game? You know, is this isolated individual technical development, which is one aspect, mm-hmm. but when I'm actually on the field training my team, not training an individual, you know, obviously you have individual components within each training session, but how am I making them better and how does it relate to the game? And I think if we can model that and we can invite coaches to come out and now it's not afraid of, Oh, he's going to steal my secrets because I'm a successful coach. No help them get better. Mm. Right. You'll, you'll get better players out of this in the end. So I think that's the big thing is we need to create a new norm because the coaching world and just humanity in general has evolved because social media wasn't in existence 10, 15 years ago. So now it's here. How do we embrace it and how do we use it as a platform, not for harm, of making people feel bad but how do we use it as a platform to make each other better and to give each other the feedback but then also understanding that if they have a strong belief and they give it back to you being vulnerable yourself to learn and get better because none of us have all the answers and we're all trying to get better so you might learn something from somebody that's never coached before you might learn something from a basketball coach And you look at all the psychology stuff that's related back to bill belichick he probably couldn't kick a ball straight soccer wise if he tried but he has so many things that can apply to what we do, in terms of man management, psychology, you know, player management, all that sort of stuff that you could do. Brad Stevens at the Celtics is another example that you just sort of take everything that he says and absorb it and try to apply it to your environment. So I think constantly just setting the new norm. I guess that's my my mm-hmm. short version of my extremely long.
0: Way <laughs> <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with the United Soccer Coaches open training session idea. Because yes. I think that it's great that it promotes, you know, what people should be doing. But I hate, hate the fact that it's almost saying one day a year you should get yourself out to one training session with a college team. You, you're in a real hub of, you know, you've, you're in Cincinnati with even with UC and Xavier and Miami up the road and um, Cincinnati State. You get out to a lot of things, right? Yeah, and that's been kind of a personal mission of myself. I've gone, you know, I've
1: gone and seen Dayton train, I've gone and seen Ohio State train, I've gone and seen Cincinnati train and Xavier train and I've gone down to Louisville and seen the men and the women train and you know, so it's for me as well, how can I go and I try to watch as much college soccer as I can as well because at the end of the day, if you're producing players for them, how can I really go and act them to look at my player if I have no idea what their product is Mm -hmm. and at the same time how can I do my kids a service and go yeah you can absolutely play in the ACC but then you go and look at an ACC player and go oh god no you can't you know and so I think that's the big thing is we have to educate ourselves as to what's around us so you learn what the level is you learn about standards of training you learn about discipline and now it's about can I take that back and can I create that inside of my own environment. So when these players go, they're ready to go and compete as freshmen as opposed to it taking a year for them to get in. They're looking at getting red the One of the big things that I thought was great on the A was they, f- they film you as you do a session. And, you know, we film our players all the time, but we have an idea in our head of what we look like and we have an idea of how we interact. But filming it actually allows you to see, one, your body language, how you interact, but not just three players that's standing right in front of you, what does the player who's 20 yards away look like? You know, Are they kicking the grass? Are they picking their nose? What are they doing? So I think that element is huge as well. Of You take things that you like away, you take things that you don't like away, and then it's about how do you apply it to your personality? It goes back to us once again. You're trying to be somebody else as opposed to evolving who you are and what your beliefs are.
0: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. I mean, which is, you can see how passionate you are about that, you know, about going out and seeing all staller stuff and other things. I just wish... You talked. You mentioned that creating a new norm. I would love the new norm to be, you know, the amount of coaches that at the high school level and and the club level that are that are we're talking today on signing day that are putting these players into these environments and it's great and the work you're doing to do it, but please, 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 go to the environment as well um, and learn and support and give feedback and if there can be, I think there is a disconnect between high school and college and. Part of that disconnect is they're both living in separate worlds aren't they mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah and you get that you get that in every environment right mm-hmm. because I think
1: we as coaches always worry about what we what we have and what we can control so you know a high school coach is worried about his three to four months that he has with these kids we're worried about our nine months that we have with a kid and you don't really think about the most important piece is that player you know so i think U.S. soccer, I know it's very controversial about not playing high school. There's pros and cons to each, and we could, we could be on the phone for six hours if we wanted to talk about that. But I think the element of putting them in one soccer environment is massive because now it allows you to plan out 12 months, right? Because, and it goes back to, you know, you've, you, can, you can like or not like Raymond Verheyen, but he's got the big things about how you periodize and how you prevent injury. So can we manage them for a full year? Right. Can we manage them? And if you don't have the ability to be in that environment, how do you work with the different pieces? Right? So if you're, a, if you're a club coach, how do you work with a high school coach and go, hey, look, this is... Because I think the, the toughest time between club and high school is the summer because you've got kids at the top end who are going to regionals, potentially going to nationals, but at the same time, a lot of high school coaches are expecting those players to be not only at their environment but involved in their environment. So you've got kids that feel the pressure of, not wanting to let somebody down and feeling like they're always doing something wrong because the club coach goes, no, you can go and watch, but don't participate. And the high school coach goes, well, this is what's coming up. So you go and watch that. You participate in this. So I think it's that disconnect of can we build that bridge a little bit more and understand that the most important piece out of all of this is the kid, right? And if we treat the kid right, now they're healthy. Now they're loving the game because they're not feeling all this pressure because at the end of the day, we have to remember they're They're 14 to 18-year-olds. They're not equipped with some of the things that we automatically assume they are about how to emotionally deal with this. So we've got to be sensitive to it of the amount of pressure that we subconsciously a lot of times put them under to make a decision. And I think that we have to embrace more of working together and creating one environment, regardless of if you're in the development academy and create it that way, or whether you're in a normal club environment where they're playing high school. And maybe they're doing ODP, and maybe they're doing this. about how can we work together and understand that you know what? Maybe they've done. Maybe they've done too much this week. Maybe I need to give them a day or two off, and that's okay. Mm. You know, because my best, in, my vested interest is in the development of this player and this person. And I think if we can all get back to that, now it starts taking away the ego of it's like we talked about before. It's my player. It's my program. No, it's not. This is a. We're, we have to do what's best for the player, mm-hmm. and then the product, right? Your, your team, your high school will be successful as a byproduct. We've got an incredibly powerful role and it's about how we choose to use it, whether we'd use our ego and once again, go back to my team, my environment, my this, my that, or is it, this is Sally and
0: Susie's world. How do I make it better? Mm. Hey, great way to finish it, David. Um, yeah. I'm going to enjoy that. We will, we'll get up again. So next conversation we'll have, we'll chat about We'll chat more about the the mentoring part of the mentorship. You're going to get up with with Carmelina and absolutely have some, have some big conversations yeah. there. So brilliant! Um, I'll let you get back to your uh, your Twitter fest today of your <laughs> signing and and look forward to all those 52 year tweets. Must be going to take a little bit of work. So um, definitely the h- hardest part of your day. But um, hey, congrats! That's a massive massive uh, success for the club and and everyone there. And and it's great that. Like I said, you guys get acknowledged and recognized because you guys play a big, big role in it. So enjoy, enjoy that um, and let's catch up soon. Thanks, Gary. I really appreciate it. Yeah, David. Top man. See you soon. Right. Thanks to David so much for his time and his insight there. I've called that episode Create a New Norm because you can hear by his enthusiasm of, of how he is approaching coach education on the USSF course and then what he brings to the modern soccer coach um, area and a lot of coaches that ask for feedback is to well who, why did you select this coach or why did you select that coach or what was the difference and for for a lot of it it was enthusiasm and i knew david was going to grasp the opportunity so i know that he's out at other training sessions i know that he's he wants feedback i know he's going to make up all the sessions and he's going to go and and talk about things with people and get as much uh, insight as possible so i was keen to get david involved and i think you know, you, you, can, you can hear the, the excitement in his voice just about how happy he is about his players. And that's what I think creating A New Norm is about. Is, is it about the result? Or is it about the players? And everyone's passionate about the game, but not enough coaches are passionate about the actual art of coaching. And they're not passionate about getting feedback from other coaches. And David really is. So I, I thought that was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. And I was pretty excited after talking to him because to hear someone like that, Um, enjoy the the process as much as he does it's pretty inspiring so hope you enjoyed it too Um, plenty of podcasts coming up Uh, if you enjoyed them please give David a shout out on Twitter Uh, we'll put his handle up for that there and if you have any feedback Gary at ModernSoccerCoach.com Coach Kernin on Facebook and on Twitter Gary Kernin, thanks very much for listening I'll talk to you soon Thank you for listening to the Modern
1: Soccer Coach podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kurnine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.